Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 736 for release on Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. On the program today... Wow, six girls and a radio station with the same birthday. Hit our ancient DX report for 1928. Yes, I said it. Wow, six girls and a radio station with the same birthday. That is correct. Wow, seven with the same birthday. Six girls and one radio station. The date for the same birthday for all seven was Monday, April 2nd, 1923, exactly 100 years ago today on April 2nd of 2023. And WOW, W-O-W, was the call sign of the radio station that celebrated its anniversary on that same date. Let's go back now to that story, and Ray Robinson does so by investigating the history of the radio broadcasting station. Thanks, Jeff. Soon after the end of World War I, it became very evident in the United States that radio would begin to develop rapidly and that program broadcasting to a receptive public would be a major part of that picture. And thus, in 1919, the insurance company in Omaha, Nebraska, with the name Woodman of the World, began active planning for their own radio broadcasting station. They installed a new and somewhat makeshift structure on the top of their 18-storey building at 1323 Farnham Street at the corner of 14th and Farnham Streets in Omaha, Nebraska. The new structure was like a new floor level, though it occupied only half of the top level of the building. Into the new structure, they installed their new radio broadcasting station. The Federal Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. issued the appropriate license on November 27, 1922 and granted them 500 watts on 570 kHz under the call sign WOAW. Actually, the insurance company wanted the call WOW, but that was already in use for a communication transmitter on board the Pacific Ocean freighter Henry J. Bibble. The new 500-watt Western Electric transmitter was installed, the highest power that was readily available at the time. Two steel towers were erected on the rooftop on the southwest and northeast corners of the building. Test broadcasts from the new radio broadcasting station began towards the end of March 1923, generally at 9pm. On the evening of Monday, April 2nd, 1923, the siren of the fire station in Omaha sounded loud and clear as an invitation for all radio listeners to tune in to the inaugural broadcast of the new radio station, WOAW. Then one minute later, the program began. First, there was the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Then two speeches of welcome, first by Mayor James Dahlman, and then by the Governor of Nebraska, the Honourable Charles Bryan. The music that followed was presented by a local orchestra and a 75-voice choir. 
From the opening night onwards, two hours of locally produced programming were presented three nights a week and on Sunday afternoons for one hour. Later in that same month of April, radio station WOAW offered a $5 prize to the most distant listener, and they received responses from as far afield as Baltimore in the United States and Quebec, Toronto and Nova Scotia in Canada. Two years later, they discovered that the ship Henry J. Bibble had been retired from service and that therefore the desired call sign WOW was now available. And thus, on December 15th, 1926, WOAW became the more famous WOW. The English language exclamation WOW came originally from the old dialect of Scotland and Northern England, and it identified the call of an animal, such as, for example, a dog or a cat or a horse. In modern English, it's an exclamation of surprise. However, for the Woodman of the World Insurance Company, the radio call sign WOW identified their organisation. Over the years, many changes took place for the radio station WOW, changes in studio and transmitter locations, changes in ownership and operating frequency, and also changes in call sign. WOAW became WOW in 1926, and then WOW became KOMJ in 1999, and then KXSP in 2005. These days, station KXSP in Omaha, Nebraska, operates from studios and offices on Mercy Road in Aksaban Village, with a 5-kilowatt transmitter on 590 kHz, just off Sorensen Parkway in North Omaha. Now for the story about the seven birthdays, all on the same day. On Wednesday, April 2nd, 1941, station WOW celebrated its 18th anniversary. To honour the occasion, the radio station invited six local girls to celebrate their 18th birthdays at the radio station. Each of the girls was born on the same day, April 2nd, 1923, that station WOAW was inaugurated. One of the girls, Rosalind Levy, was even born in the early evening, at the very same time as the radio station was on the air with its opening programme. The six girls joined with the radio station staff in the birthday celebrations, and all were celebrated with a taste of the birthday cake and a drink of fruit punch. Ice cream was donated for the occasion by a local ice cream company. And as part of the festivity, as you might expect, all six girls were interviewed over the air in the programming from station WOW. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. According to a report published in the American radio journal Radio News, there was a total of 862 shortwave communication and program broadcasting transmitters on the air throughout the world in the year 1928. Continental Europe led the world with 281 shortwave transmitters, followed by the United States, together with the Philippine Islands, with 246. Throughout the British Empire, there were 125. In the countries of Latin America, there were 53. And in Asia, China, there were 10. Additional shortwave transmitters not listed separately were on the air in Canada, Indonesia, Australia, Antarctica, and elsewhere. Here's Ray Robinson now with our Ancient DX report for 1928. Yes, Jeff. In the United States, throughout the year 1928, there was a flurry of activity in the shortwave arena. 
The new 2XAL at Coitsville, New Jersey was on 9700 kHz with a program relay from the studios of medium wave station WRNY in the Hotel Roosevelt in New York City. The Grebe shortwave station 2XE on 5130 kHz at Richmond Hill, New York carried a relay from medium wave station WABC. The call sign for the experimental AT&T station 2XG at Ocean Township, New Jersey was regularised to WND and the presidential yacht Mayflower was listed with a Navy call sign NJV. The RCA station 3XM at Bound Brook, also in New Jersey, was noted in Canada with a program relay from medium wave WJZ and Long Beach radio station KGER in California was noted in October with a shortwave relay on 6140 kHz by the experimental 6XBV at the Pacific Southwest Exposition. Several shortwave listeners in the United States noted that some of the American medium wave stations can be heard at a distance on unusual shortwave channels as harmonic emanations from their medium wave transmitters. Beginning on October 1st, 1928, all amateur radio stations in the United States were required to insert the letter W in front of their license call sign. The American magazine Radio News for July 1928 published a list of details about the RCA International Shortwave Communication Station at Rocky Point, Long Island. And since this information isn't readily available elsewhere, we present now the complete list of their six transmitters here in Wavescan as a matter of historic interest. They had WTT with 40 kilowatts on 16.2 meters, 18520 kilohertz, targeting South America during the daytime only. 2XT with 40 kilowatts on 16.18 meters, 18540 kHz, targeted to Europe, again daytime only. WBU with 20 kilowatts on 14.1 meters, 21275 kHz, targeting South America, as required. WIK with 20 kilowatts on 21.75 meters, 13795 kHz, targeting the Caribbean and Europe, 24 hours. WQQ with 20 kilowatts, 14.8 meters, 2270 kHz, targeting South and Central America in the daytime into the early evening hours. And WLL with 20 kilowatts on 16.01 meters, 18740 kHz, again targeting South and Central America, and again during the daytime into the early evening hours. In August, the new shortwave station CKY in Winnipeg, Canada was noted in the 25 meter band, and in October, the new Richardson shortwave station at Fleming, Saskatchewan, was noted with test transmissions under a temporary call sign I1C. Amateur shortwave broadcaster G2NM in England was noted with a live broadcast of the Anniversary Day events. This was the 10th anniversary of Armistice Day, marking the end of the Great War. And these events were in turn relayed by Medium Wave 2FC in Sydney, Australia. The Admiral Byrd expedition in Antarctica was registered for seven shortwave call signs for ships, airplanes and land vehicles and a new 120-kilowatt shortwave station with German equipment was inaugurated at Lati in Finland. 
Two shortwave stations in Holland were on the air, PCJJ on 9935 kHz with relays of programming from Berlin, Paris and the BBC in London, and PCLL with 25 kilowatts on 16305 kHz with a relay from the League of Nations in Switzerland. There were 56 radio broadcasting stations on the air throughout Russia, though the only shortwave station was RFN, with 20 kilowatts on 60 metres at Khabarovsk in Siberia. On many occasions during the year 1928, medium wave stations in Australia relayed live programming from shortwave stations in England and continental Europe, and also from the United States. But in addition, the Melbourne shortwave station 3LO, it was reported, represented Australia well, with its programming heard almost worldwide on 32 metres. On November the 14th, 3LO beamed a special broadcast to Siam, now Thailand, in which five visiting Siamese government officials in Melbourne gave a report back to their capital city, Bangkok. The Royal Prince Purachatra in Bangkok heard the broadcast from Australia, which was also relayed live over a new temporary broadcasting station in the capital city. The Prince in Siam then cabled a reception report of appreciation back to 3LO in Melbourne. And on a personal note, while researching the information for the ancient DX report 1928, our editor-in-chief, Adrian Peterson, came across some previously unknown family information. A monitoring report from a radio listener on the Arcuna sheep station in the northern back of beyond in South Australia was printed in the October 1928 edition of the American radio magazine Radio News. Arcuna sheep station occupied 24,000 square miles of semi-desert territory and it carried 35,000 sheep. In his report to the American radio magazine, the radio listener on Arcuna Sheep Station in rural South Australia stated that he'd heard two medium-wave stations in the United States on the same channel. WOWO, W-O-W-O, at Fort Wayne, Indiana, with 2.5 kilowatts, and KFKB at Milford, Kansas, with 1.5 kilowatts, both on 229 metres, 13.10 kilohertz. The radio listener in Australia was Mr K.L. Williams, and he was employed on Arcuna Sheep Station by the station manager, Adrian's grandfather, Theodore Henry Mudie. At the time, his third child and younger daughter, Adrian's future mother, was a mid-teenage girl. <laughs> Back to you, Jeff. Thank you again, Ray. Normally, on the first Sunday of the month, we have Yukiko Tsuji's Japan DX Report. However, I should be on a ship in the middle of the South Pacific right now. I'll tell you more about that a few weeks from now when I get back. But due to a trip to Australia and Oceania, I had to record a few editions of Wavescan in advance, including this one. So, we'll have Yukiko's Japan DX report for April in a few weeks from now. Today we have part one of a recording from the 2022 NESB, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, annual meeting, which took place last July at Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. One of the speakers at the meeting was a fascinating shortwave radio personality named Steve Herman. You might have heard him on The Voice of America. Just a technical note here, you may hear Steve refer to slides that were part of his presentation at the NASB meeting. 
Here's part one of Steve's talk to the NASB. Thank you, Jeff, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. It is an honor uh, to be here. Uh, one of my favorite things uh, to do is uh, actually speaking to ham clubs uh, when I get uh, invited because it's uh, sort of easier to explain about what uh, what I do and and how I got uh, to my position. So, it's a little presentation. Um, anybody uh, recognize the the uh, transmitter site in that uh, in that slide? Because I'm trying to remember where I pilfered uh, this um, uh, photograph from. I believe it is one of the previous uh, VOA sites, but I I forget which one it is. It, it might be uh, might be Kuwait, but. Uh, there is this. This to me looks like the classic um, uh, old um, VOA type uh, architecture uh, for for the buildings. If you've been to the some of the transmitter sites around the world, so I'm uh, as Jeff said. I'm currently the chief uh, national uh, correspondent for VOA. I was the uh, senior White House correspondent and White House bureau chief during the Trump administration and uh, also uh, was there for the first eight months of the Biden administration. And um, I actually lost count. It's probably somewhere between 75 and 100, the number of uh, actual flights I made on Air Force One and also on Air Force Two, which is actually one of the same airplanes. It's just the call sign depends on who is on the airplane, as you probably know. And uh, as I'll talk about, um, VOA is an integral part of the White House press corps. Uh, we have uh, had a full-time correspondent, at least one, in the White House since um, probably the, the Kennedy administration at least. There was a correspondent who was there during, um, uh, let's see, I believe Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Filomeno, Jury. Uh, she passed away a few years ago in uh, Pennsylvania, but uh, she did write a uh, autobiography. And if um, it's it's a book I'm referencing among some others for a book that I'm working on right now that uh, gave a little bit of historical context. And uh, VOA is part of the press pool. Uh, for the rotating radio pool. We do maintain our position in the radio pool, although most of the reporting we do these days is more web and television than radio. But um, as a diehard radio person, I always have tried to file as many radio reports as possible uh, when I was at the White House or traveling. So we're also part of the traveling press pool, which means uh, on the trips like uh, right now, my colleague, Patsy Widakuswara, who is the, currently the VOA White House Bureau Chief, she was on Air Force One from Andrews Air Force Base to Israel and then was on the press plane that uh, got into uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, just before Air Force One today. And it is a very eventful news day. I don't know if some of you have heard uh, that there was this controversial meeting between Biden and the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and Biden did a fist bump with MBS instead of shaking his hand or hugging him, I guess. And there's a lot of outrage uh, on in the Twitter, Twitter sphere and elsewhere at this very moment. And uh, the president just concluded uh, a, a 
brief news conference in Jeddah and laughed when he was asked about the criticism to his um, fist bump. So it's never a dull moment during the Trump administration, and it's never a dull moment during the Biden administration. So um, Voice of America, you are all obviously in this audience familiar with it. And um, it's interesting to me. I always thought the uh, transmitter was in uh, Greenville, but according to the QSL card, it's Grimesland. Um, and um, I uh, basically, uh, where I am today, all starts with VOA. I remember being in my grandmother's kitchen in Cincinnati, Ohio, sometime in the 1960s, and um, tuning above the AM dial and picked up the VOA uh, transmission um, from North Carolina, which was pretty easy even during the daytime in Ohio. And I actually wrote, there was a contest on, and I was very excited about it. You could uh, write into VOA and win a prize. So I sent a letter in to VOA and got a typewritten polite but kind of terse letter in return informing me that because I was a citizen of the United States, nothing about being underage, but uh, that I was not eligible to uh, participate in the contest explaining that VOA, um, uh, which at that time was not even allowed to disseminate its uh, content at all um, to Americans, um, and so I was very intrigued by what was VOA and, and learned a little bit about it. And also as a result of hearing VOA, I tried to um, pick up um, some other stations. So, uh, so I wrote off, I picked up Radio Moscow and wrote uh, to Radio Moscow and found out about this whole QSL card business and uh, was hooked on the SWL hobby and uh, probably had uh, insertion into an FBI file um, somewhere as a, as a nine-year-old. And uh, at the age of 12, I think I passed my amateur radio novice test. And um, shortly after that, got my general exam when you had to go to an office in a federal building of the Federal Communications Commission, which was quite intimidating as a 13-year-old and having to uh, uh, send and receive uh, Morse code at 13 words per minute. So I am a code general from the, from the old days. And I um, uh, had some QSL cards printed up, and then the um, uh, post office actually changed the zip code on us, I think, shortly after I printed these up. But, and this was my very first transceiver. Anybody recognize it? Probably the worst amateur radio modern transceiver ever manufactured. It was the ICO 753. Um, I, ICO was a was a manufacturer, right? Uh, it wasn't a wasn't a sub brand. This thing drifted all over the band. It was just amazing. I, I you know you would not expect that in the modern era that uh, you know I thought the drifting problem was maybe solved uh, you know in the 1920s with receivers, uh, but apparently not. Trans, trans transmitter side too. So. This, um, uh, I traded this in, and my next radio, which I still miss dearly, was a Swan 500C. It was a 500-watt tube uh, tran HF transceiver, just a fantastic uh, signal. 
And uh, my father, we were living in Las Vegas. He got a telephone pole and installed it in the front yard. And we put a three-element rotatable Yagi on top of that. I would come home from school every afternoon, and uh, the Japanese would get very excited because I was a seven in Nevada. The population is much bigger in Nevada now, but back in the 1970s, Nevada was, uh, was quite a catch, uh, even for the, uh, for the Japanese stations. Uh, this is my very first um, ham radio log. Uh, I had gotten uh, my license with uh, my schoolmate named Kevin. He got WN7WYE, and I was WN7WYF. So I tried to contact him first. He lived about a mile away from me on uh, 40 meters CW, and there was no contact because all he heard was <coughs> my key wire was shorted. So, um, and that may tell you why I ended up on the. Um, journalism side of broadcasting rather than the engineering side. I did build uh, some equipment and never managed to electrocute myself, but it was very clear, I think, from early on, especially when I got to calculus in high school, that um, um, you know maybe the engineering uh, career that I had in mind wasn't for me. And I always consider the engineers in broadcasting to be the ones with the actual brains and those of us on the journalism side are just sort of, um, you know, the, the slackers. So, uh, you know, I did uh, make it into a QST magazine. Uh, my, my classmate beat me out in the novice roundup in 1974. And um, I had better success with contests in later years. But it was, uh, you know, as you can see, uh, there were only two of us from Nevada that entered the novice roundup. So, hey, I got second place, right? So I really do uh, attribute my career success to ham radio. Uh, I learned about emergency response very early on, experimentation. I tried to learn Spanish and Japanese and a little German, a little Russian, a little Chinese, so I could uh, you know, exchange uh, signal reports uh, with these um, uh, DX stations. Geography, obviously. Uh, innovation, multitasking. If anybody's ever uh, been a ham and worked a contest, you know how many different things you've got to do at once. A little bit of physics, not too much. Uh, socialization, I was pretty much a introverted, uh, shy uh, teenager. And um, getting behind a microphone and talking to strangers uh, across the world, it's basically what I do in my career right now. And um, um, voice training, had to learn to speak clearly because uh, people who didn't speak English as a foreign language would have difficulty understanding you. Although I was very fortunate being born in Ohio, Midwestern accent, much different than if I had been born in Mississippi or, uh, you know, Texas. That was Steve Herman, Chief National Correspondent for The Voice of America, speaking at the 2022 NASB Annual Meeting in Washington, D.C. Steve will be back with us next week on WaveScan with Part 2 of his presentation. Thank you for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written each week by Adrian Peterson in Indianapolis. Next week on WaveScan, the coming eclipse over the island of Timor 
and the early radio days on that island. Also, Wandering the World with a Radio, Part 2, Early Experimental Wireless, and our Philippine DX report from Henry Umaray. Wayscan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Mm-hmm.